Hey, if you're viewing us right now on Facebook Live, I want to welcome you. Thank you so much for being with us here in the virtual world uh, as the rest of us are here in the real world, right? Uh, Or maybe you're watching uh, later on YouTube or listening to the podcast. Uh, We're glad that you could make it with us in those ways. But today we're in part two of this series called We Church and not me, church. And the reason why we're talking about this is because we all have different experiences and different backgrounds when it comes to church. Some of those experiences have been good. Some of them maybe have not been good. And then there's others of us in the room that maybe you have no church experience whatsoever. Maybe you're here at a church slash movie theater, and you're like, well, this is kind of different. This is kind of cool. This is not like those buildings I drive by with the steeples or anything like that with the stained glass. That's okay because the church is really not about building. It's not about brick and mortar. It's about people. And, but what, what happens is whatever our experiences are, we come into this place. We come into being in church, being in fellowship with one another, with preconceived notions, with uh, expectations. And they're coming from all different places. And again, Some are really good, some are negative, but what we're aiming for in this series is for all of us to get on the same page together to realize why does the local church exist? What's the purpose of the local church? What are the real reasons for church? And why is it important for us to know this? Here's the reason, because if you don't know why it's God's plan for every believer Everybody say that with me. Every believer. believer. Say it again. Every believer. believer. It's God's plan for every believer to be engaged in a life-giving local church. If you don't know that, if you don't know what the reasons are, then when someone hurts you, someone in the church hurts you, someone offends you, or if you look around and you're like, why do we do what we do? You don't know what's going on. If you don't understand what's going on, which we like to teach you, we like to bring, you know, come alongside you and say, hey, here's what we're doing. But if you at first don't know what's going on, or if, if you see something that's like, oh, that's really weird, that's really strange. If you don't know what the purpose of church is, then what you will do is you, you might run away. And God's plan for you is to not to run away from church, but God's plan for you is to run with your church. And so that's why we're talking about this stuff. Last week, we talked about how a church helps us know God better. Why is that? Why does a church help us know God better? Because that's our number one priority in life. Every single human being, whether we know it or not, whether we are born again or a believer in Jesus yet, or if we're not, our primary priority in life really is just to know God, to know him better. And so the church helps you do that. The foundation for any strong relationship is built upon how well you know somebody. You can't have a strong relationship with someone if you don't really know them. And so a church helps you to know God better. It's about orbiting your life around God with him at the very center. And if you weren't here and you didn't get to hear that message last week, I just want to encourage you to get on our website, siegechurchtn.com slash messages, and you can listen to it or you can watch the message. And you need to because we talked about some very important truths, truths that circle around this idea of the church helping you know God better. So that, that's, that's purpose number one. Today, let's talk about another primary purpose that the church exists. A church exists, a local church is supposed to help you grow spiritually. A church helps me grow spiritually. 
Jesus said this. He said, if you're going to follow me, then you're going to have to go through a rebirthing process. That's where we get the term born again, right? So Jesus is talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, and, and he, Jesus is explaining this to him, and Nicodemus is having a hard time with it, and he's like, how is that possible? How can I reenter my mother's womb? You know, like Bible gets all graphic and stuff. And No, but it's like Jesus is like not talking about a physical birth or rebirth. He's talking about a spiritual rebirth, right? And so initially, when you were born into this earth, We were all born with a sin nature. Every single human being was born with a sin nature. What does that mean? That means this, that no one one had to teach you how to live your life apart from God. You just automatically knew how to do that. You automatically knew how to live your life in a selfish way to serve yourself, and no one had to teach you how to live your life apart from God, the person of God, and the ways of God. You just knew that already. That's what a sin nature is, and we've all were born into this world with that, but when you make the decision to follow Jesus, when you respond to the Holy Spirit's invitation to say, hey, I want you to come and follow Christ, then a supernatural work happens in your spirit, in your inner spirit, and that's a rebirth. You, 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 uh, you're spiritually reborn. You're born again, right? Now, for a lot of us in the room, they're like, well, this is super basic. Why am I sitting here going through all this? But, but hang on with me because we're getting somewhere, okay? So you're, you're going through this. You're, you're, you're spiritually reborn, which means you are now a spiritual baby, right? And what do babies have to do? They don't get to be babies for their entire life. Babies have to grow up, right? Babies grow up into toddlers, and toddlers grow up into children, and children grow up into adolescents, and adolescents grow up into adults. That's the natural process. That's the natural way of doing things. That's the way it ought to to be. But there are a lot of believers who have been believers for a long time, but they are still spiritual babies. They're spiritual toddlers. And so we've got to grow up, and the church exists to help you spiritually grow. And one of the biblical terms for this process is discipleship. That's a, this spiritually growing up and discipleship, in essence, are kind of like the same thing. Jesus gave a command to his followers right before he ascended into heaven, right before he left this earth. This is after the cross. This is after the resurrection. And he's hanging out here on earth. For, for 40 days, and right before he ascends, he says this to his followers in Matthew chapter 28. He says this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, now I want to stop there. Just why is Jesus talking about authority in heaven and on earth being given to him? And then he says, therefore. That therefore word means that the sentence before is pretty important. All authority on earth and on heaven has been given to me. Therefore, which means this, Jesus is now exercising his authority and he's giving us authority. He's giving us authority and he's giving us a charge. He's giving us a command. And he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. 
And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, we could just stop there, and church would be done, and that would be good, and we could just keep digging on this one verse. There's a lot to say about it, but we're going to keep going here. But Jesus basically commands us, his church, his body, to go and make disciples. And this word, in this word disciple, and in what what it really means to be a disciple. We see this whole idea of what it really means to grow spiritually and how it works. But in order for us to really grasp spiritual growth, in order for us to really grasp what it means to be a disciple, we've got to look at this uh, and, and contextualize this word. Often when we read Jesus' words, or we read any of the Bible for that matter, we like to read it in our like worldview of where we are here in 21st century America. You know, we read through the scriptures and we like, okay, we, we just filter it through our life. But what we have to realize is that Jesus came to the earth at a very specific time in history, and he came to a very specific region of the world. Now, Jesus' words and all of the scripture are, are relevant still to all cultures at all times, but we need to understand the context. We need to understand the, the time in history that Jesus came. We need to understand the place and the people that he was speaking to because it helps us not misinterpret what Jesus said and it helps us really get a better picture, a fuller picture of what he's talking about here. So the question that we've got to ask ourselves is what does it really mean when Jesus said, go and make disciples? Let me ask you this. Have you ever heard of the Torah. Let me see your hands. If you've ever heard that term before, the Torah. Okay, a lot of hands going up. That, that's a Hebrew word, and it refers to, or it means, it means this. It means God's law, or God's direction, or God's kind of way of doing things, God's instruction. And, and the way that we know the Torah is it's the, like the first five books of the Old Testament. It's the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Some of you are like, well, I thought that was called the Pentateuch. It's also called the Pentateuch. That's a Greek word, which just basically means five books. But Torah has a lot more to unpack than just five books. It is God's way of doing things. It, it, and so the people... The Jewish people, they didn't just view the Torah as like, oh, we just need to learn a little bit about this. Or we just, these are inspirational words. No, for them, this was a manual for living. They're very specific instructions about what you can eat and what you can't eat. When you should work, when you can't work, and so on and so forth. And, and the, the Jewish people ordered their lives around the Torah and they tried very literally to live it out. Well, in first century Israel, there, was, there were these guys, this group of people in the community, and they were called rabbis. And the role of a rabbi was to explain the Torah to the common people, to uh, expound on it, and, and, and to um, interpret the Torah and give more detail to just the everyday Joe. And every rabbi had disciples. Every rabbi had a disciples, and the disciples were followers. And so if you were a disciple of a particular rabbi, you would follow your rabbi wherever he went, and you would live out your life according to your rabbi's interpretation of the Torah. Now, some of you are like, oh, yeah, yeah, I get this. A rabbi is like a teacher, and the disciple is like a student, 
It's like, you know, when I send my kids off to school every single day for my kids to learn, I get that, yeah. Well, yes and no. Yes and no. Yes, a rabbi is a teacher. Yes, a disciple is a student, but not in the way that we think of like the teacher-student paradigm here in, in our culture, in 21st century Western way of thinking. It's not exactly the same. I have three kids, and as of this week, hallelujah, they'll all be in school. <laughs> and I'm sending them to school for, to, to, to learn from their teachers, for there to be a transfer of information. And not just that so they can just take a test, but I want my kids to really understand the things that they're learning. Okay, And so I want the teachers to, to make sure that they're understanding and know these things and that's, that's, that's the teacher's responsibility. Now, listen, I want to just say this, this little you know, side note commentary. I believe it's my job and Jamie's job as the parents of our children. I believe we're responsible ultimately for the education of our children. I believe we're ultimately responsible for their spiritual growth as well. I believe ultimately we're responsible to set them up for success through the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. Praise God. We're not doing it on our own power. It's not just, I don't just send my, my kids to the teacher at school. And if they come home and they don't get it all, it's not just the teacher's fault. Now, that might, that might include having some conversations and discussions and figuring out what's the best way of learning for my kids. But it's really my responsibility. I just love that I get to partner with the teacher. A little, okay, side note. That's just my little commentary. We can edit that out later. Um, so when we read about rabbis and disciples... We tend to think of it as just the transfer of information because that's what our school system is really all about. I just want to say this, too. Another side note. I just want to say a great big thank you to anybody that is involved in education. Can we just honor teachers and administrators and coaches? Come on, let's keep clapping. If you mop the floors at school, thank you. If you drive a bus... Thank you. If you're a homeschool parent, thank you. We want to honor you because your job is very important. Thank you. Thank you. But, but back to this, rabbis and students. We think of it again as transfer of information, but that's only a very small part of what a disciple is. The purpose of a disciple wasn't just for them to know what their rabbi knew. The goal wasn't just to receive the transfer of information the end goal was for the disciple to become exactly like the rabbi. In other words, this. A disciple is one who learns the way of their master, and they follow the way of their master. It's not just about learning. It's, all, it's about an entire lifestyle that, that matches what they're learning. That meant, again that they followed their rabbi everywhere that they went. That meant that they lived with their rabbi, and they lived with the other disciples as well. It wasn't just the rabbi and the one disciple, but there were, like, there's a group of us. There's an entourage, okay? If, you ate, if, if the rabbi ate, then you ate. If he slept, that's, that's the time that you went to bed. You slept. If he washed his hands, then you washed your hands too. But you didn't just wash your hands the way that you would normally do it. You would study the way that your rabbi washed his hands and you would do exactly what he did. Why? Because it's not, again, just about knowing what your rabbi knows. It's about becoming exactly like your rabbi. 
Now think about that for a second in our modern context. That would be like sending your kids off to school, not just to learn from Mr. Jones, the history teacher, but to we're sending them off to go and live with Mr. Jones, the history teacher, so they can become just like Mr. Jones, the history teacher. That's a whole different ballgame. But that's what it means to be a disciple. And this is what the disciples of Jesus did. They went where Jesus went. They did what Jesus did. The apostle Paul understood this. He knew some things about this. He was educated in this. I'm sure at one time that he was a disciple of some rabbi. And this is, he's, he's, he wrote this in Romans chapter 8, and he's trying to give this concept away to the Romans, who are not Jews, and they don't, they don't have the same kind of like system in their culture. And so he's giving away this concept, and this is what he says in Romans 8, 29. He says, For, from the very beginning, God decided that those who came to him, uh, that those who came to him, and all along he knew who would, that they should become like his son. It does not say, from the very beginning, God decided that they should all go to heaven. Now, going to heaven, is that a wonderful thing? Is that a, a truth and a reality that we believe, that we see in Scripture? Absolutely. But that's not what the, the goal was. The goal that God wanted was for us to become like Jesus. Paul's trying to communicate this principle of discipleship to the Romans. And again, it, it's not just about knowing what the rabbi knows. It's about being exactly like them. So what does that mean for us as it relates to spiritual growth? Here's what it means. Spiritual growth isn't measured by how much you know about Jesus. It's measured by how much you're becoming like Jesus. Now, as I was writing the statement, there's a great amount of truth to that. And then there's another little voice in the back of my head. That, that, that talks about, you know, the, the, the part of me that, um, that is surrendered just to the, the reckless love of God, the grace of God. And I, it's, it's not that, like, Jesus has a measuring stick, necessarily. He's like, you know, you, you're not meeting this measure. It's not like that. But we have to understand and I love this. Spurgeon said this. He says, grace does not find a man and then leave him where he is. It means if you really surrender yourself to the grace of God, then you are going to spiritually grow. If you're truly surrendered to the grace of God. Okay? So I don't want you to, I don't want you to like get into like the harsh you know, teacher with the ruler that slaps the kids on the, on the wrist kind of attitude when you read this statement. That's not who God is. And at the same time, Jesus has a plan for you to spiritually grow. That, God's plan for your life is to grow. It's not for you to stay as a baby. It's not for you to stay as a toddler or a child. We're supposed to grow up. And there, there's scripture has a lot to say about that. But unfortunately, sometimes there's this distinction between what we know and what we do. I'm sure that we've all had encounters with people who professed that they were Christians, that they were followers of Christ. But when you looked at their life, it didn't really match up with what we know Jesus' life looks like. And so there's this disconnect sometimes between what people say and what they do. Have you ever known someone who it sounded like 
it sounded like they knew a lot about God, but they just were like a mean person. And they were judgmental. And you didn't want to spend any time around them. Matter of fact, if you saw them coming, that you would turn the other way. Because <laughs> you, you didn't want to share a meal with them. You didn't, want to, you didn't have any desire to spend time with them because there was something that they were exuding besides their knowledge of God, something that wasn't reflecting the character and nature of God. And you're like, I, I don't want to be anything around that. That's not the kind of person I want to be. That's not the kind of Christ follower I want to be. That's not the kind of church that I want to be part of. I want to be part of a church that we're not just knowing about God, but we're actually pursuing becoming like Jesus. Amen? One of the amazing things about Jesus was that there were people who were nothing like him. They were nothing like Jesus, but they still wanted to spend time around him. They saw something attractive about the person of Christ that they wanted to share meals with him, that they wanted to just be around him. And this was the pattern in Jesus' life, so much so to the point that all the religious hoity-toities started accusing Jesus of being a glutton and a drunkard and a friend to the lowest people of society. So what was going on with those people, the, the people that were accusing Jesus of this? There was some, somehow a disconnect between what they knew about God and the actual heart of God. Matthew chapter 23, Jesus actually says something about this. He, he told his followers, he says, hey, you hear the things that they say? Do them. Do what these people say, but do not do what they do. And then he pointed his attention to those religious people who knew a lot about God, but they didn't have the heart of God. And he said, you're hypocrites. You are like a well-manicured grave. You're, you're, like the grass is all cut in the cemetery. It looks all great. And someone's been by with a trimmer. And there's, you've got this big, beautiful, expensive, nice headstone. And, it, and it's surrounded by fresh flowers. But beneath the surface, there's death. There was a disconnect between what they knew about God and the actual heart of God. Their lives didn't reflect the character and nature of God. So what does that mean for us? It means this, that spiritual growth is becoming like Jesus. For far too many Christians have thought maybe somewhere in the back of their mind that the, the qualifiers for spiritual growth had to do with church attendance. It had to do with Bible reading. It had to do with serving. And all of those things are wonderful. All of those things are great. All of those things should be uh, things. They're, they're tools, actually. They're tools in your life that help you grow spiritually, but they're not the spiritual growth themselves. And what we tend to do is we look at these outward things and we look at people that are doing all that and we're like, look at them. They're really spiritually deep. But Jesus didn't measure growth that way. As a matter of fact, he was very explicit how to, to look at someone and know if they were a disciple of his. And we keep thinking, coming back to this scripture for the last six weeks over and over. And I think we need to pay attention that the Holy Spirit keeps bringing this back on our radar. In John chapter 13, verse 35, what does Jesus say? By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. By what? By this. If you have love for one another. You guys, when I prepare these messages, 
I didn't, I didn't have any plan to use the scripture for the past six weeks in two different series. Actually, a, a, a series, a one-off, and then a whole other series. And it just, this scripture just keeps showing up in what the Holy Spirit is trying to communicate to this body. And it's not like, you know, the Holy Spirit's not wagging his finger at us, but he's encouraging us. And he says, hey, you, you guys, Seeds Church, you're not even a year old. And this is a foundation that you guys need to get if you're going to grow strong, if you're going to grow healthy. That you're going to love one another. The measuring stick for Jesus was about loving people. Why? Because all of the knowledge about God doesn't do us a lick of good if we don't use it to love other people. What did Jesus say? The top priorities of our life were love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. And there's a second command that is equal. What does equal mean? The same. Love your neighbor as yourself. So what's the big idea behind this purpose that the church exists? What's the big idea behind this? The church exists to help me spiritually grow, but the big idea is this. Community is a requirement for disciples. Community is required for disciples. Why is that? Because you can't love one another if you don't have another to love. Duh. You've got to be in community in order for discipleship to work. You've got to have a family around you. You've got to have a group of people around you that you're doing life with, that those people love Jesus too, and then they want to serve and honor Jesus with their life, and the Holy Spirit is moving and working through their life, and that's how you spiritually grow. Facebook Live is great. Listening to sermons on YouTube is great. Listening to podcasts, that's a wonderful thing. Reading books is great. You should do all those things. But all those things can only take you so far in your spiritual growth. Why is that? Because discipleship, the very nature of discipleship is relational. Because what does a disciple do? The disciple learns the way of their master and they follow the way of their master. It's not just about the transfer of information. It's not about just listening to a sermon. It's about now Finding a community in which I can unpack this and work it out in, in, a, in a safe environment. you got to show up. You know, I don't know if you've ever heard this, but it's something I've heard a lot, and I say this a lot. Like 80% of success, 80% of winning is just being there. Just show up, number one. You can't win if you don't show up. So show up. That's like... Basic stuff. You got to pull up the, your own chair to the table when we're having family dinner. Listen, is it always easy to get to the gathering? No, it's not. Is it always convenient to get here? No, it's not. Is it God's plan for your life to help you grow spiritually? Yes. My daughter Jelana and I were just talking about some of this stuff the other day. She was talking about just things that she had conversations that she has in school and people that we know and talking about this, this, whole, this, this whole idea. And I just was reminded of this passage that we looked at last week when Jesus said to Simon, he said, 
Simon, you are now Peter, and upon this rock I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against it. So Simon gives, or Jesus gives Simon a new name, and that's Peter. And what does Peter mean? Anybody remember? Rock, stone, right? And then Jesus says, upon this rock, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. You know, Jesus wasn't talking about like a rock that we find in our backyard. He wasn't talking about a rock that's just like you find out in the woods that's just a raw rock. It's not shaped. Because what do you do if you get a, grab a bunch of rocks and you start stacking them on top of each other? What do you have? A pile of rocks. You don't really have anything. Because they're just falling down on top of each other. I believe what Jesus was really talking about was something that was more shaped. Something that was more like a brick. Because with a brick, you can build something. Not just a single brick. Because if you put a single brick off to the side, what's that? It's nothing. It's just a, a, a rock that's been shaped. It's not, fulfilling, it's not fulfilling its purpose. It's not doing what it was designed to do. So if you take that brick and then you begin stacking it with other bricks and you begin to interlock of them with other bricks in community, you begin to get a structure. You begin to get something here that Jesus said, Hey, Peter, you had this revelation that I'm the Messiah that I'm the Son of God, that I'm the Christ. You and everyone like you are like these stones that have been shaped, and I'm going to use you, and I'm going to start stacking you on top of each other and interlocking you and aligning you with each other to build something great and to build something so strong that not even all the power of hell would be able to stand against it. All the power of hell would not overcome it. you got to... Bricks have to be aligned. Community is required for discipleship because you can't love one another without another to love and you can't have a single brick off by itself. A single brick off by itself isn't anything. Nothing. It's not fulfilling its purpose. Some of us have thought that we become like God just by sitting under really good preaching and teaching. And good preaching and teaching is a wonderful thing. And I hope when you hear good preaching and teaching that, bling, you know, the light bulb comes on and God's truth is illuminated in your heart and in your mind. But that's not where you become like God. You become like God in community. You learn a lot about God through teaching, but you become like God in community, in a family and in this community environment. It's where you work these things out. It's where you work out the things that you've been taught. Those of you that have children... I want you to think about this for a second. Think, think about if your kids were only being raised only through the transfer of information. But they had no family in which to work out the things that they were learning. Imagine if your kids had all access to every single one of your wise words, every single one of your wise teachings about life... They were all downloaded onto a hard drive, and your kid was put into a room for its entire childhood and adolescence with a computer screen hooked up to this hard drive, and they would just watch your teaching over and over and over again for their entire life. Do you think when they reach adulthood that they are going to be prepared to walk out that door? Now, they heard great teaching from you about how to love others. They heard great teaching from you about how to resolve conflict. They heard great teaching from you about how to have healthy relationships. But are they going to be prepared in isolation 
to walk into the real world, are they going to really be prepared to resolve conflict? Are they really going to be prepared to love others well? Are they going to really be prepared to, to have healthy relationships if they haven't had a community or family to work that out in? I very much doubt it. This is exactly what it's like in the church family. We've got this big group here. And the big group is where we have the transfer of information. But the small group is where you work it out in a family context, where you get to experiment and test out forgiveness and test out loving your neighbor and test out self-control. This is the pattern that we see in the early church. The big group, the small group, the big group, the small group. Acts chapter 2, verse 46. They worship together at the temple each day. Big group. Temple could hold a lot of people. That's the big group. But then they met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity. Look at the pattern. They had both, the big group and the small group, the big group and the small group. Why is it that a lot of us, we get the big group idea. We get the Sunday gathering thing. But somehow we think the small group thing is optional in our life. But here it is in, the, in this same verse together. This is the pattern. That the early church, those who knew Jesus and walked with Jesus, this is what they did with their lives. The reason that you need a small group, the reason that you need a family around you is because that's the place where you grow Spiritually, are you tired of me hearing, hearing me say this already? Paul writes to the church in Galatia, and I want to say this. He writes to the church in Galatia, not a single individual. He's writing to a body of believers, a, a structure of people, a structure of bricks who have been stacked upon one another and interlocked with each other. And this is what he says. He says, he writes about the, the, the kind of fruit that their lives will begin to produce when they stay close to the Holy Spirit. And in Galatians 5, he says, but the Holy Spirit produces his kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Have you ever realized that every single one of these things that we call the fruit of the Spirit have a very strong Relational component. What need is there for gentleness? What need is there for kindness if you're by yourself? The, the very first thing that's mentioned, that, that Paul mentions, is love. You can't even do that if you're alone. How can you grow in any of these fruits of the Spirit if you're not in relationship? It's not possible. Have you ever been with a child? Or an adult who, as a child, they grew up and they didn't really have a strong family. Maybe they didn't have a strong community around them. Maybe someone that, like a, a child who's been through the foster system. And they've been through home after home after home and through tragic, tragic situations. But th this kid, they, they have little to no self-awareness sometimes. They have little to no um, social awareness sometimes. Because they didn't have that community. They didn't have that... Sometimes it's hard to even carry on a conversation, like a normal conversation. Sometimes it's hard for people like that to be in normal, healthy relationships because they didn't have a place to practice these things. Sometimes it's hard for, the, for people like that to recognize even basic kindnesses that have been done for them. 
Why? Because they had no family. They had no community. God put both physical families and spiritual families in our life so that we could grow up. When you decide to make the commitment to be part of the big group and the small group, your testimony might be something like this. You know, I was a little hesitant at first. I really liked the big group because there wasn't much pressure. I, I knew more people there. But I decided, I decided to, to go all in. I decided to do the small group thing. I decided to say yes to the Holy Spirit who was, who was encouraging me to this small group where I didn't even know anybody, but I just looked at the list and just saw that I, there's something about that, that list, that, about that small group that stood out to me, and I said yes to it, and I found out when I got into community, when I got into relationship with these people, that, man, I found out that my my view of God was a little narrow, and I found out that I had some, some growing to do, and I, I found out that there, there was some support there that I was missing in my life, and there was some encouragement that I was missing in my life, and I found out that I had things to give to people that I didn't realize, I didn't know that I had, but the Holy Spirit had deposited on the inside of me. What are they saying? They're saying, I'm growing spiritually. I'm becoming a disciple. That's what a disciple follower of Jesus is being all about. That's what spiritual growth is all about. Remember this. We go away from this place today. Remember this. Remember that a church exists to help you grow spiritually. Growing spiritually means that you're becoming like Jesus and a community is required in order to grow spiritually. This is why we have been diligent, so diligent at trying to launch city groups this fall. And today is the perfect day because today is the first day that you can sign up for any of them. Listen, it, th- this is why you're going to been hearing me talk about city groups. You've been hearing the announcement about city groups. You've been hearing Renee talk about city groups over and over and over. And you're not going to stop hearing us talk about it because when you get into a community, that's where you grow like Jesus. And right now is the perfect time. They're just starting. You know, you don't have to worry about, like, is it all going to feel like a click? Is it going to feel clickish? Listen, I, someone, I heard someone say this a long time ago that I just thought, this is really good. It's only awkward if you make it awkward. <laughs> when you get to know new people, there, there can be that, like, that feeling of awkwardness. Just go all in. Just be yourself. It's okay. The mistake that we often want to do is that we want to, like, make a small group where we just know everybody super close to us because we want everyone to affirm the person that we already are because they are, it's easy to love people that it's easy to love. <laughs> it's easy to walk in forgiveness with people that, that you already love them. It's easy to have self-control or patience with people that, it's, that are, it, they're easy to love. So don't, I, I want to encourage you, be, be aware and be sensitive And have your attention heightened to which group the Holy Spirit wants you to be involved in. Is it always easy? No. Is it always convenient? No. Is it God's plan for your life, for you to grow spiritually? Yes. Listen, it's really easy. Go to seedschurchtn.com slash citygroups. You can look at the list there. We've got 19. I think maybe only 17 of them are on the website right now. But go, go in there and ask the Holy Spirit, where, where do you want me? Talk, 
it's okay. Talk. I'm not saying don't, like, well, i got to find a city group where there's, I don't know anybody. No, you don't have to do that. But that's, that might be the case for some of you. For some of you that aren't connected with anyone else in the body right now, that you know, like, one person's name, and it's me, you know? <laughs> You're sitting right next to somebody, and you don't you know them. You sit next to them every single week, but you don't know them. So this, there might be that. There might be that, like, level of, like, going in, and I don't know anybody, but that's okay. You know, and, there, and then there's no, like, once you join a city group, like, you're in prison now, and you're shackled. You know, no, city, city groups, church is not prison, it's a community. And we want you to find the group that the Holy Spirit wants you to be part of. Sometimes we get it right on the first try, and sometimes we don't. But don't keep, don't, don't give up. Just keep trying until you find your place. Listen, you might be here today and you might be like, I don't even know Jesus. Well, you can change that today. You can surrender your life to his lordship and start down the path of becoming like him. Join us. Hey, listen, I'm, I'm not there yet. I'm not at the destination. I'm still walking the path. Come on, walk with us. Walk with the rest of us as we journey on becoming like Jesus. If that's you and you're here today and you want to start down the path, if you want to walk across that threshold of going, yeah, all right, here I am. This is, this is what I want to do with my life. I just want to invite you to pray with me right now. I'm going to pray this prayer over you and you, in your heart, you can just join me in this prayer. And there's just two things that the scriptures say about when you decide to become a follower of, of Christ. It says, you've got to believe in your heart that Jesus is the Son of God. And, or you've got to confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Son of God. You've got to believe in your heart that Christ was raised from the dead. That God raised him from the dead. And if you're good with that, if you feel like the Holy Spirit is tugging on you to do this, to make this decision, whether it's for the first time or whether you, it, this is a... a, a a commitment that you're renewing. Just pray with me right now. Heavenly Father, I just come to you and I surrender my life to you. I'm tired of doing my life my way apart from you. And I want to do my life according to your plan. And so I surrender my life to you. And I call upon the name of Jesus, and I submit to his lordship and his authority and his, his power. And I say, Jesus, be in charge of my life. I believe that you are the son of God. I believed that God did raise you from the dead, and now I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. Come into my life and change me and make me new and wash me, wash me from all my sin. And I thank you that you have done that through what Jesus has done so that I could know you better, God, so that I could be everything that you've created me to be, so that I could do everything that you've called me to do. Holy Spirit, change me and make a difference with my life. Amen?